0: Lord, we are talking about the anatomy of sin this morning, which is a very horrible thing. Um, We're going to see sin in certain lights that maybe we have not seen it before. And maybe, perhaps, it will cause great discomfort and guilt within us. But we will also see, Lord, the wonderful grace that causes sinners into the children of God. And the grace that transforms our desires and our purposes to to live in accordance to your will we will see the we will talk about the horrors of sin but the magnificence of grace we pray lord that these two topics will be communicated clearly so by the time that we end this service lord we will see have we have we will have a clear understanding of the magnificent work that jesus christ has done for us all these things in jesus name we pray amen So one of the uh, greatest privileges in my life, I suppose, that I know is one of the greatest privileges, is I get to preach um, for half a living, right part-time, right? And preaching is a wonderful thing for me personally, because God has used the preparation time that I use to prepare these messages, and even delivery of these messages. To heal me first before anyone else. And um, I think one comes, I was thinking of a therapist once, and he told me to quit preaching. He said, Oh, you're, you're doing too much, your family's suffering, you should quit preaching. And I go, Oh, huh? maybe I should quit preaching. So I talked to my friend, psychiatrist friend, and, and I said, Yeah, this therapist told me that I should quit preaching. And the psychiatrist says, He doesn't know what you're talking about, he doesn't know what he's talking about. You should keep on preaching. Because it is the way God is using to heal you. I go, praise the Lord. So preaching is more than just work for me. It is how God reveals himself to me. Um, and it is the ways in which he uses to build me up and heal me. That I, that I start my message off of this. Because this week was really, really peculiar and strange and hard, but really great. Because um, I, w- I was going through some things, which I'm going to talk about later. But as I was, yeah, she agrees, but I was, as I was like, as I was studying this text, right? God is, everything that we're going to talk about today, I was experiencing this week without me knowing it. You know what I'm talking about? I don't prepare messages. I don't have something that I want to say and then look for for text to justify what I want to say. That'd be wrong. But as I was preparing this message, I could see, like, what is happening to Abraham was kind of happening to me this week. And it was just an amazing thing. So what was happening to me this week, among many things? This week, like, I just, people were just letting me down, right? So people were just letting me down constantly at work. None of you, you never let me down. You're all perfect and good, right? But it's just, it's something about work. People have just letting me down. Like, people are making mistakes after mistakes after mistakes, right? Despite my, you know, harsh public persona, I'm a very soft, gentle guy. And when you make mistakes, I don't yell at you. I don't get emotional. I used to be that way, right? But I, get, I don't get emotional. I try to find a solution to the problem. That's what I do. But even my nice nature were tested this week. Man, the same mistakes over and over again. I told you, I told them, this is what you need to do. But they don't listen. They go make the same mistake over and over and over again. Have you guys ever had subordinates who did such things? Yeah, people like look at me. You're in consulting. You know what I'm talking about. These subordinates, they make dumb mistakes over and over and over again. And I was losing it. Right? I told them once, why can't they listen? I told them twice, why can't they listen? But if I'm honest with myself, not only—I mean, I'm not, you know, perfect either. Clearly, because you tell me all the time that I'm not perfect. And one of the ways that I know that I'm not perfect is, in my life right now, there's someone that I'm really close to, right? Not my wife, right? Don't assume that it's my wife. But someone that I'm really close to who's really, really angry at me. Like, really angry at me. Because I let him down. I let him down. Right? I told him I was going to do certain things, but I just didn't come through. So I let him down. My coworkers are letting me down. Right? And I'm disappointed in them, them disappointing in, my, my friend is disappointed in me. And that's what makes human relationships hard, right? We let each other down, like all the time. What a great way to start a sermon. That is why Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, when he lists the qualities of love, the very first quality of love that he lists is patience. Patience, the meaning of patience in Greek is long suffering. Right? Love, the first quality of love that Paul talks about is long suffering. When you are with another human being, you suffer long to love that person. Am I right, married people? Right? Am I right, parents? Am I right, children of really controlling parents? It's long suffering. Love is a wonderful thing. Right? as a great pop song once said, as wonderful that it is, it is very, very hard. Because if you disappoint other people, other people disappoint you. But when Paul think, talks about 1 Corinthians 13, right, which is like the go-to passage of all weddings, wedding sermons, when Paul talks about the qualities of it in 1 Corinthians 13, I don't think he's really telling people you should be patient as much as telling people who god is because the qualities of love that paul lists in first corinthians 13 is the is the is the quality the quality of love that god has for his people so if the first quality of love that god has for his people is patience it means god suffers long to love his people god's love is patient which means he suffers long to love his people and there are clear bible verses in fact, like when a lot of the places in the Old Testament, when God reveals His nature to His people, right? When God describes who He is in the Old Testament, for example, in Numbers fourteen, um, in Exodus, in Psalm thirty-four, this is what He says. He says, "The Lord is I am the Lord. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness." Once again, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. Slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. What this basically means is the Lord is very patient. He's slow to anger. It doesn't mean that he doesn't get angry when sin happens. But he's slow to anger. Abounding in loving kindness. That's what patience is. When the Lord deals with us, he deals with us because he's very, very patient with us. Romans chapter nine, verse 22, Paul says, God bore with great patience the objects of wrath, which means when he looks at the objects of his wrath, which means when he looks at people who deserves his wrath, rather than killing them instantaneously, he suffers long with them. Ephesians chapter four, verse 30, Paul says, do not greet Paul tells the Christians to not grieve the Holy Spirit. The word grieving here means a deep sense of betrayal, right? A, a sense of betrayal when, like, when your spouse cheats on you. That's the grieving that Paul talks about. And he's saying, would Christians sin, the Holy Spirit mourns like this. He feels this utter sense of betrayal, right? But even though he feels this utter sense of betrayal, he doesn't kill you and me. He is loving and gracious, and he deals with us kindly. If there is one quality of love, any other quality of love who God is, that is, he is patient. He suffers long to love his people. He suffers long to love me. He cer- he, not certainly. He suffers long to love you. And this is clearly shown in Genesis chapter 20. What is happening in Genesis chapter 20? Abraham sells his wife off. Again. Remember? In Exodus chapter 12, right? God calls Abraham to the promised land. Abraham goes to the promised land, but in the promised land, there's a famine. So rather than waiting on God to you know, deliver him from famine, because God promised him, right, to, to, to provide for him. Rather than depending upon God and waiting for God in the Promised Land, He chooses to go to Egypt in Genesis 12. And when he goes to Genesis 12, he's afraid that men are going to kill him because they want his wife. His wife evidently was a very attractive—I don't know—60-year-old back then, right? Maybe 60. Maybe organic diet in the in the 5,000 years ago made women really. Anyway, she was a really like 60, 70-year-old, really attractive woman, right? And, And Abraham was afraid. The people are gonna kill him for his wife so he told the king of egypt yeah king of egypt yeah she's not my wife she's my sister right she's my wife she's she's my sister go go ahead He's like Mary, 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 go ahead take her take her I'm, I'm good and god rebukes him right god visits pharaoh in a dream and says don't touch the guy right don't touch his wife and egypt and the king pharaoh the pharaoh confronts confronts abraham and blesses abraham right and so, so, God forgives Abraham, everyone gets blessed, and everything's good. You would think he will learn his lesson by then. No! Genesis 20, he goes to the land of Ger. Right? Like, so he travels around the promised land. The land of Ger is like in, the, in Canaan, the promised land that God, God promised. So he's wandering through that land. And he, he, he comes to the land of, land of Ger, right? And in the land of Ger, he looks around and he doesn't think that people around, like that people of Ger were God friendly people. So once again, he's afraid that they're going to kill him because of his, I don't know, 80 year old wife. Right? So he says, Yeah, she's not my wife, she's my sister. And he sells her off again. Can you believe this? Twice. Look, Genesis chapter 12, when he first did it, He was a baby Christian, so yeah, let's give baby a pass, right? He was a cute baby Christian, oh, baby Christian, right? He was a cute baby Christian, so maybe he could make mistakes. This was 20 years later. This was Abraham who experiences the miracle of God. He experienced the miracles of God, remember? God used him and 301 people to defeat four major kings to to rescue Lot, remember that? With 301 people, he defeated an army. Remember, God, like, in a dream appeared to him. God says, break, like, split these animals in two. And God walked between the pieces, which means I will honor my promise to you. If I don't honor my promise to you, Abraham, I swear I will destroy myself if I don't deliver that promise to you. Abraham had that vivid dream. Abraham experienced the closeness of God and experienced the miracles of God firsthand for 20 years. God did not stay silent in Abraham's life. God is very active in Abraham's life. Right? But that, when he went to Ger 20 years later, uh-oh, it might kill me. Wife, sorry man, every man for himself. You're my sister, not my wife. Take my wife, please. Oh my God, ladies, are you not angry with this guy who sells his wife to like to live to survive? Am I the only one who's offended by this? Am I the only feminist in the room? You know what I mean? How can Abraham do this? He's a man of God for crying out loud. God declared him righteous. How can he do this? What does this tell us about nature of sin? Nature of sin is that it is very deep and it is very complex. And it rears its ugly head when we're not looking. Hebrews chapter 12, is it? Talks about sin, sin that clings to us. Which means there is a certain sin that all of us have. Right? We have a specialized sin that all of us have. And these things come out suddenly, unexpectedly. <clears throat> Look, you know what Abraham's like, secret sin was? The, 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 sin that trigger, the thing that triggers Abraham's sin is that Abraham, like, when he goes to new environments, new situations, and when he feels danger, his old sin comes back. You know what I mean? He's doing fine, but when he when he faces a new environment and potential danger, despite all the miracles he ex- experienced, when he feels that his life is in danger, he naturally reverts back to his sin of self-dependency, of self-calculation, and wanting to give up, sacrifice his wife for his sake. Does it make sense? Abraham, that's Abraham's like sin that clings on to Abraham. Despite all the things that God has done for him, because the sin kind of clings on to him when triggers happen, when new environments happen, the sin is activated. I know God has done marvelous things with you, in you, and he has certainly done marvelous things with me and in me. But I'm here to say, it doesn't mean that the sin that's secretly inside of us, it doesn't mean that they go away. Basic example is last week. Why am I wrong last week? Why am I Italian all of a sudden? Right? Last week was the most arguably the most blessed service I've ever been. Right? No, you don't agree with me? Like, okay. For me it was. I was just sitting there listening to the testimonies, and I was just floored. I was like the like the marvelous light of God shined brightly in my heart. Oh my goodness. God was so real. And I went to my wife, my, my wife won, like, wanted me to go to one of the services. She followed me. So, and, and that evening I went to another service because the, the old lawyer that I used to work for, he was getting installed as a deacon of his church. So I went there. Even that service was great. The warmth of the light of God just flooded me. God is saying, You're doing a good job. I am true. I am It was wonderful. But after that service ended on that night, and after the delicious Korean barbecue, as I was driving back home, I can feel the darkness descend upon me in that car. The sin, the, th- the thought process that I thought that, was so f- that I was free from, it came back. Do you know the song "Enter Sandman by, by uh, Metallica? Do you know that song? Exit light, enter night. Take my hand. Darkness descended upon me that night. It lasted a week. I was finally free from it last evening. I was in such pain and turmoil, I could care less about the Avengers. (gasps) It was very, very hard. I was like an animal. Now I'm a white-collar pencil next so you know I'm presentable. But internally, the thoughts that I thought that I was free from—they invaded me in every part of my faculty. I had a wonderful Sunday, but it is a matter of—in the matter of minutes—that light turned to dark. that is the nature of the human heart. We think, you know, we have a very like, we think some of us think that human beings are like computers. If you just teach us the right thing, we'll learn the right thing and we will change our behaviors accordingly. Right? Very simple. People, people think like we have this like if you just, you know, teach us to teach the teach us the right things. If God teaches us the right things, we will learn and go oh, okay and then we will change our behaviors and we will be free. That's not how the human heart works. The human heart is a mire of deep, dark, darkness, complexities, and sin. Triggers can activate your sin. And that is exactly what is happening to good old Abraham. The thing about sin is this. Where Where am I in my sermon? The thing about sin is this, though. All the sins that we do commit. We need to understand that it has repercussions to the people around us. I think the great temptation of reading sins about, you know, Abraham and David and all the great figures of the Bible, when we read about sins of these people, we go, oh, okay, he was weak, therefore I can be weak too. We somehow use passages like this to justify our weakness. But this passage clearly shows us Yes, Abraham got triggered and he sinned. But when he sins, there are repercussions to the people around us. When we sin, the people that feel the most is the people around us. let's Let's look at Abraham. Who is victim number one of his sin? Sarah, his wife. He was afraid, so she's passed on like a like a, like a basketball. I don't know what she's like. She's she's passed on to guy to guy, so that he can live. Imagine what that makes her feel. Their husband is willing to use her every chance he gets to save himself. She is disposable, right? That's what Sarah feels. Abraham's sin causes great pain to Sarah. Abraham's sin causes, like, it, 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 it not only affects Sarah, it affects, it affects his children. Isaac wasn't born yet, right? He wasn't, he wasn't born yet. But Isaac inherits this sin of his father. Best example, go to Gen- when we go to Genesis 26, Isaac is married with his wife Rebecca, and they too travel to Ger. And when Isaac looks at the people of Ger, he's afraid. So, you know what he does? Hey, guys, Rebecca's not my sister. She, Rebecca's not my wife. She's my sister. He does exactly the same thing that Abraham did to his mother, to Rebecca, his wife. Isaac inherits his father's sin. Not only that, because of what, I, what Abraham did, every, like, like Abimelech suffers and the women of his, of, of his, of his kingdom suffers because they become barren because of him. It's clear that Genesis chapter 20 is teaching us when we sin, even when we trigger and sin, it affects the people around us. You need to understand that. And when we sin, and when we sin against someone, that sin doesn't remain local, right? It spreads. When you sin against someone, that person will sin against someone else. It spreads like that. That's what is happening to Abraham right now. He's spreading his sin to his wife, to Abimelech, to his son, to everyone around him. This guy. So what does God do? Does he just like, slaughter Abraham because of his, he's such a jerk? God intervened. God intervenes. How does he intervene? He visits Abimelech in his dream. And the very first word that God tells Abimelech in his dream is, you are a dead man. (gasps) Can you believe that? Can you imagine dreaming? The first word out of God's mouth is not, oh, I love you. You're great. The first thing out of God's mouth is, you're a dead man. (gasps) Abimelech said, I didn't know. So Abimelech's defense was, I didn't know. Abraham told me he was, she was his sister, and even she told me he was his brother. I am innocent. What did God say? No, you're not. No, God said, yeah, you're right. But what did God say? He says, He says, Not only you're right, but I prevented you from touching, from sleeping with, with, with Sarah. So not only did God reveal himself to to Abimelech in his dream, he made it so that Abimelech would not sleep with Sarah. God intervened. Guys, our sins are great, and the effect of our sins is great. But the great thing about being a child of God is he intervenes. He really does intervene. To stop you from your sins. Last week, installation service of the deacon that I, deacon installation service that I, that I attended. He was a guy that I used to, like, he was the first guy, first guy that I worked for when I came to law school. Right? I think I told you, I told you about it. Right? And, when, and that was like 2002. Right? And he was just all about money. Right? He's all about money. He's, like, everything he does, making, making advice and giving me advice on how to like, you know, make money. And I told him, like, I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor. He said, oh, that's just foolish. God doesn't exist. You've got to make money. Basically, that was his MO. And the guy was getting like, baptized, like, installed as a deacon in his church. You know why they're installing a deacon in his church? Because he just lives there. He devotes everything to the church. So for for 2002, the guy was all about money and religion was foolishness. Now he lives for the church. And I said, what happened? And he said, God slapped me silly. He cut me down. He gave a testimony during installation service. Like, he didn't specifically tell me how God slapped him. But he's a changed man. Because God slapped him. And God warned him, if he, like, like, reverts, if he goes back to his old ways, he's going to slap him some more. And I go, praise the Lord, sir. God slapped him silly to stop him from his sins. That's how God intervenes sometimes. He slaps you silly. He takes things away, right? Maybe he makes you sick. Maybe he sends you to jail so that you will stop sinning. That's how he intervened. Another example of intervention is I was reading a testimony of this guy. Oh, so many testimonies about this pastor who sexually had, like, you know, affairs and who got, who got like, you know, who, who, who got discovered and got kicked out of his church, right? And then the guy was writing his testimony and he says, I, I, he didn't confess, he, people, he got found out, right? People found out that he was having an affair. And he got kicked out, he lost his family. But he says, oh, but I needed that to stop sinning. He had to be discovered. He had to lose his position in the church. Even his wife left him. He now sees that was for his benefit, you know. Otherwise, he'll still sin. If you're a child of God, He will slap you. He may expose. He may reveal. Whatever it takes, He will stop you from your sin. He will intervene. Maybe He just intervenes through prayer life. That happens too. Look, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 is a short tax collector, right? He's a guy who's so short. She's heard Jesus was coming to town. He was so short, he couldn't see Jesus. So you remember, he climbed up that tree. Jesus saw Zacchaeus and said, Zacchaeus, today I must dine with you. So he goes to Zacchaeus' house. And, he, and like, Zacchaeus throws a banquet for Jesus, and he was just in the presence of Jesus. When he met Jesus, you know what happens after the banquet? He, he just gives away his money, right? He, he, he corrects all the wrongs that he has done. He's a changed man. Why? Because he was simply in the presence of Jesus Christ. When you're simply in the presence of Jesus Christ, when you're walking with Him in prayer, in the scripture, reading of His word, He does poke you at your conscience. He does. And He stops you that way. Whether it's, whether it's through quiet time, whether it's through His clapping you, whether it is exposing your sins, whatever it is, if He loves you, He will intervene. Why? Because your sins and my sins are deadly. And he needs to intervene to save us and save other people from us. You know why God intervened in Abraham's, Abraham's case? Because this guy makes mistakes after mistakes, right? To the point where, you know, Sean will fire the guy for making the same mistake. Right, Sean? Yeah, you will. Right? Same, make the same ledger mistake, Sean will like, cut him like like fish. I don't know. what. I'm not a violent man. Right? But God doesn't cut Abraham. Why Why did God intervene in Abraham's case? It is because he made a covenant with Abraham that the whole world will be blessed through him. And the covenant that God made with Abraham was so that through his line, Jesus Christ will be born, will will be born into this world. So he intervened in Abraham's case. For the, salvation, for the sake of the salvation of the world, more personally put, he intervened so that you and I will be saved. Through Christ we are saved. The reason why you and I, Abraham, God intervened in Abraham's case is so that you and I will experience the salvation of Jesus Christ. For his purpose, God intervenes. Because he loves, he loves Abraham and Sarah, God intervenes. So God's slapping you silly. God saying no to you. God revealing things that you may not want to see. God poking at your conscience. Pastor Jay is, like is preaching harsh words to you. All of it is because he loves you. To stop you from being, to being, becoming an agent of destruction. What a great God that we have. Another thing about sin that we discover here God said, in verse 6, was it? And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I do not let you touch her. Right? That's what he said. What else did he say? In verse 9, is it? In verse 6, God tells Abimelech, right? That he, he stopped Abimelech from sinning against God. What? Think about it. Abimelech was not a Christian. So he, God said, told Abimelech, I stopped you so that you will not sin against me. That's what God said. Think about it. Abimelech was a pagan. He did not know God. Right? He did not meet God. He did not know God. The first time he met God was in this dream and God called him a dead man. That's the first time Abimelech ever encountered God. But God is saying, I stopped you so that you won't sin against me. Why is that? What does that mean? It means this every sin that we commit, is ultimately against God. We have this idea that, you know, I can, there's a sin that I commit against God and the sin that I commit against, you know, my friend. There's a sin against commit against God and the sin that I commit against another human being. Flipping some off, off because they cut you in traffic, we think that's kind of a character flaw, but that's not sin against God, right? Like, you know, watching things that you should not watch maybe is a sin against the person that we're watching, but that is not a sin against God. God says you're wrong. God is saying every sin that you commit ultimately is against Him. Why? Because every human being is the creature of His creation. And every, every misuse of resources and every, you know, damage that we did to this world environmentally, hi Josh, is, is a sin against God. This is His world. His people, every mistreatment of anyone, we are directly sinning against Him. Husbands, the nasty things that you say about your wife to her is a sin against God. Wives, the constant constant loving, constructive criticism that makes your husband feel less like a man, that is a sin against God. I know you try to reform us because you love us, and I really appreciate that not so much but you're really sitting against us. you're sitting against God when you make us feel that way do you understand every lust that we commit against another female is a sin against God every criticism every gossip every slander is a sin against God Back to husband and wife. When you const- when you fight, I'm not saying you fight because none of none of us embrace fight. Evidently, but when you have the rare occasion when you do fight, the nasty mud that you sling to one another, you're slinging it to God. Every sin is against God. That's what God is telling Abimelech. When you when you like road rage against someone, that's sin against God. You understand? That's what God is telling Rabbi Malik. So Rabbi Malik got shocked. So he goes to Abraham. Guys, how did Abraham confess? You know, how did he confess in Genesis 20? Did God reveal himself to Abraham? No. There's no sign of repentance from Abraham. If you look at the entire entirety most of the ch- text of chapter 20, there's, no, there's not one place until the end where, before Abraham repents. How does Abraham repent? Abimelech comes to him. Abimelech comes to him and says, What have I done to you that you're doing this to me? Specifically, he says in verse 9, How have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? He goes to Abimele, Abraham and says, why? What, I, what have I done against you that you have brought this great sin on me and my people? Abimelech is conveying the fact that your sin, you have brought sin to us and my kingdom. Once again, when you sin against someone, you're bringing your sin against that person and that person in turn will sin against you and other people. Sin is like a zombie apocalypse. You get bitten and you turn. That's it. No one is just bitten by your sin and go, oh, that's it. No, no, no. When you sin against someone, they sin against you and other people. People who are abused tend to become abusers, right? People who are harshly criticized when they were kids turned out to be psychotic killers, Right? It just it it it, it just yeah, spreads. That's what I mean. Like saying, what have I sinned against you that you're bringing your sin against against me and my kingdom? In verse, another, another thing in verse in verse nine, he says, "You have done things to me that should not have been done." Whoa. that's the very definition. Of, that's the very definition of sin. You have you have done things to me. That you should not have been done. Sin is us doing things to people that should never be done. You should never use words like that to another human being. You should that should not be done. You shouldn't control or use other people like that. That shouldn't be done. The way we treat human beings, we shouldn't treat human beings like that. That should not be done because it is so wretched and horrible and wrong. Do you understand? I know it's easy to give us you know, free sin passes to ourselves, right? But every sin, it's, it's something that should not be done. So Abraham, so Abimelech confronts Abraham, right? And did, I, did Abraham just fall on his knees and say, I am so sorry? Did Abraham say, oh, I am a sinner. I'm a wretched man. Like David. David, when he, when he was converting his sin, he tore off his clothes, right? And started wailing. You know what Abraham did here? Abimelech is saying, you have caused great damage to me and my people. And I've done nothing against you. What did Abraham say? Verse 11. I did it because, you know, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God in all this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Think of what he's saying. He says, I did it because there is no fear of God in this place. What is he saying? You know, I did it because you guys are evil. Isn't that what he's saying? you guys are so harsh. I was, I was afraid of you because you guys are evil. Right? And he says in verse 11, Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not my daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So what is, what is he saying? Well, technically, she is my sister, you know. I didn't really lie. I would make a, make a really great lawyer. Technically, your honor, she really is my sister, you know. I don't know, what what I did, what I did, was it that bad? I didn't lie. What a jerk. So basically, Abimelech says, you have done a great sin against me. Abraham says, well, it's kind of your fault because you're evil. And technically, I didn't lie. Oh my gosh, I want to beat him up, right? What if your son, acts when you're punishing your kid, what if your son says, you know what, technically, you didn't raise me right. Right? Technically, you, you're the one who, my daughter said that to me, technically, you raised me. <sighs> and technically, what I said wasn't really that bad. It doesn't, don't overreact, Dad. It's not that bad. Welcome to parenthood, kids. No sign of Repentance. He's the father of many. He's the father. He's a righteous. He's supposed to be the righteous man, right? But he's a quivering, self-defending coward here. But he does repent, right? It ends up him praying to God. He does repent. How does he repent? You know how he repents? Abimelech blesses him. The very next verse, Abimelech gives him male servants, female servants, right? Uh, Abimelech gives him sheep and oxen. It's crazy. The dude is a quivering, lying jerk, and Abimelech decides to shower him with gifts. Not only did he shower him with, Abraham with gifts, Abimelech gives Abraham access to his land, right? It's crazy. And not only did Abimelech give Abraham access to his land, which means no one's going to bother him. No one's going to kill him if, if, he, if he's in that land because that's Abimelech's land. And because he gave him access, no one can touch him. Not only did he give access to that, he gives Abraham 10,000 shekels to, prove, to show other people that Sarah didn't do anything wrong. After Abraham receives kindness, he prays to the Lord first time he prays to the Lord is after he gets the blessing. What is the secret here? What is what, what, is, what, is, what is the meaning trying to be conveyed here? The way we repent of our sins is not God smacking you, though rightfully he should. The heart that leads to repentance is not when God makes you feel super guilty about your sin, although we should be super although we should feel super guilty about our sins. But true transformation happens when we know that we receive kindness and blessings from the Lord. Do you understand? It is the kindness of the Lord, as we sang, that leads to repentance. Of Abraham turned because he received grace and mercy from Abimelech. We turn from our jerky, selfish, self-preserving, sinful ways when we understand the mercies of God in Jesus Christ. Just like Abimelech gave access to his land to Abraham, God gives us access to himself. All around me, there is like spring maybe, but there is like new life like sprouting all around me. I'm seeing God changing people, God saving people all around me. I have no idea why he's doing, letting me see that, but he is. It's like springtime, spiritual springtime in PJ's life. New life here, new life there, new life here, new life there. It's like, it's crazy. Why are they having all this new life? It's because God has granted them access to himself. God is shining his light directly upon these people's lives and they're dramatically changing and shifting and they're being regenerated and they're being born again because they have access to God. Do you understand The the two sisters I gave testimonies last week, it's because God shined His light upon them and they have access to God. That's the blessing. It is when they saw the light of God, then they repent. They don't repent and then see the light of God. It is when they see the light of God through His access, then they start repenting. Does that make sense? And why could they have access to God? Because Jesus Christ paid for their sins. Abimelech gave 10, shekels, 1,000 shekels to Abraham to, make, to, to show that Sarah is, is, is innocent. Abimelech didn't have to do that. Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross to redeem us, to make us clean. He didn't have to do that. It is when you understand that He didn't have to do it, but He did it for you anyway to cleanse you of your horrible, horrible sins, it is the understanding of His grace to transform you into a person who wants to be righteous. That is the only way when you understand the merc- true mercies of God in Jesus Christ. It is that, that is the way that you change. Not when Pastor Jay makes you feel guilty. Right? One of my favorite pastimes with my wife these days is we listen to sermons and we, you know, we talk about the sermons. It's wonderful. And so we, we listened to a liberal sermon the other day. You know what a liberal sermon is? It's very lovely, liberal sermons. They talk about grace, they talk about love, right? They talk about, you know, God being there for you or something. My wife was, my wife was listening to this and she goes, you know, it's lovely, but there's no power or life in it. I don't know why that is sounds great right but there's no life in it why is that and i told her it's because they use the words like love and grace of god but they don't talk about the biblical definition of love and grace which is jesus christ dying for us while we were sinners when you don't address the fact that Jesus Christ died for your sins because of your sins, if that is not your definition of His love for you, then every talk about His love for you is just empty and shallow and vain. Because 1 John chapter 2 makes it clear, this is love. While we were sinners, Christ died. That's the very definition of love. And when you understand that mercy that He has for you on the cross, when you know that you're loved like that, Holy guacamole, you want to change. You change and you want to live for better things. That's why when I listen to liberal sermons, it just gives me a really bad taste in my mouth because what they seem to say is true, but it's not. Because they don't talk about the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Do you know, personally, truly, honestly, that you and i are just as bad as abraham we we sin every we get easily triggered to sin every chance we get we our sins contaminate other people they certainly do and when confronted we either get angry or we try to wiggle out of it like we it, like abraham did but despite the person that you are and that i am Just as Abimelech blessed Abraham. God doesn't slaughter you, but he blesses you. He gave you Jesus Christ. What crazy love is this? What crazy love is this? Who loves us like this? What kindness is this? We love it. You're the recipient of such kindness. Look, when you listen to sermons, two things should happen. You should feel really bad about your sins, but you should be so thankful for Jesus. I think that's what a Christian should live. You feel guilty because you know how horrible your sin is. And trust me, the more you live your Christian life, the more God will make it clear to you how horrible his sins you are but the more you live your Christian life the more you understand what great love that Jesus had for you and you bask in that warmth and basking in that love and grace to you transforms you into a person who wants to live the way he wants you to live we are all horrible sinners but we're all so blessed that's what a Christian is Let's pray.